In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. All of you have questions in life. It used to be that when you had a question, you had to go to a bookshelf where there was a collection of about 40 to 50 books alphabetically lined up together and you had to ask that question by alphabet and open up what was known as the encyclopedia. Many of us don't have those anymore. I grew up just flipping through it all the time, but now if you have a question, you ask Siri. I've often wanted to do that in church and wait for somebody's phone to say yes. You go to Google. You go to Yahoo, you go to your Alexa, or whatever else it is, to find the answers to your questions. What's the weather going to be tomorrow? What's the state bird of Mississippi? Who do the Carolina Panthers play this week? And what are the odds that they're going to lose again? <laughs> but many of you have questions even in the church. And many of you will come up to me and ask me questions at time and say, Pastor, I, I know you're busy, or Pastor, I, I know this sounds like a dumb question, but whatever else it might be. There are no such thing as dumb questions in the church. And honestly, the worst kind of church is a church that doesn't allow questions. Because that would mean very simply that God does not allow questions. And if you don't allow questions... It's probably because you cannot stand up to the questions and you have no claim whatsoever to be true. Ask your questions. Ask your questions of me. Ask your questions of your Heavenly Father. Having questions is great. Find things to ask. It's really awful in Bible class or whatever else it is when nobody has questions. Any questions? No, because that, no, that means in many ways that maybe no one is thinking about these things. Every week as I prepare for a sermon, I'm finding more and more things that I don't know about. That may be a shock to you, but if you've been around me long enough, I don't have all the answers. I can't just read through these scripture lessons or read a book in the Bible and say, yeah, I've got that down. There are so many questions. So yes, your questions of God are okay. God can stand up to them. But maybe they're not about biblical knowledge. Maybe it's about your life. God, why do I have cancer? God, why can't I afford things with the inflation right now? God, why are there wars going on throughout the world? God this, God that, and so forth. But maybe even more so, you ask the question that we love to think about today. Maybe not of God, but in our society. Who is the greatest? Who's the greatest quarterback? Who's the greatest pitcher? Who's the greatest guitarist or drummer? Who's the greatest violinist, actor or actress? Who is the greatest president? Who's the greatest liar? Who's the greatest hero? Who's the greatest villain? Just tell me who is the greatest amongst us. 
You heard Jesus today say that there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Think about that for a moment before we come back to that. Life seems full of so much competition for greatness. We put people on pedestals with their ability to play a piece of wood with strings or how well they can throw a leather sack full of air by wearing tight pants. We love to uphold those people who bounce a leather ball full of air on a wooden floor. In the church, we even see Bible studies, great people of the Bible. Typically, our Sunday school lessons focus on Abraham, Noah, Moses, Paul, and maybe a few others. But when you look into the lives of these biblical people, you realize they aren't so great. Many of them questioned God. Many of them turned in other directions. And I think one of the greatest faults of many of our Sunday school and Bible study curriculum is today is that we don't speak plainly about how these people's lives were messed up. Who is the greatest? Go back to what Jesus says today. I tell you the truth, there's no one born greater of women than John the Baptist. Think about everyone that's been born since John the Baptist. Think about everybody that was born up to the point of John the Baptist. There were men that we know about in the Bible, like the ones I just mentioned. Abraham, Joseph, David, and Solomon, just to name a few. There were also those who were of great political fame who had built great kingdoms and who had advanced science and culture. And John the Baptist, who eats locusts and has a wardrobe of camel skin and eats wild honey. John the Baptist, who lives out in the desert. John the eccentric prophet, who makes you uncomfortable to be around, yet you can't help to go out and see. John the Baptist is the greatest. This is like going out to the desert of California and speaking to somebody living in a broken down trailer who's telling you all about the kingdom of God. Hurry up, start the car, keep driving. And then what about all of the people who have been born and since then and have done great things in the 2,000 years since John? Would Jesus say the same thing about John the Baptist today? Is he the greatest? If John surpasses all of those others, then yes, he is the greatest amongst women of those who've been born. No one is better than John the Baptist, yet he is the least in the kingdom of God. And just because he is great in Jesus' eyes, the greatest ever born, doesn't mean that he didn't have problems, issues, doubts, or even questions. Being a Christian isn't a competition to see how much you can do for the kingdom of God or how faithful you are, how much you're going to drop in the offering plate or how much you serve on whatever board or committee for however many years. Being a Christian isn't about seeing who knows the most of the Bible, who prays, to the, prays the most, or whoever is the head of the board of elders or the executive director. Being a Christian is never about elevating ourselves. It's always about elevating Christ. John the Baptist wisely says, I must decrease, Jesus must increase. So John the Baptist decreases. 
he called out Herod, King Herod, for his infidelities, and he winds up in the slammer. This isn't a 30-day case of jail time. He isn't let out on probation. He basically says that Herod is, infidel, is an infidel with his own marriage, and now he's waiting for execution. So as John is sitting there rotting in prison, waiting for the executioner's sword, is he the greatest born of women? And is he Jesus' cousin sitting there with no doubts, no anxiety, or fear? He's greatest, but he's also sinful. Go back to the prophets. All of them, in many ways, in various places, question God. Why have you given these people to me? Why don't you just go ahead and kill me and take me out of my misery? There's no one else who is faithful in this world, is there? I tend to think that John the Baptist is sitting there wondering. I'm Jesus' own flesh and blood. Jesus, who says, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. Jesus doesn't even visit John in prison. He doesn't pop the wall off on the side of his cell and say, come on, I'm going to rescue you. John the Baptist is like the best man in a wedding. In Jesus' day and age, the best man would introduce the bride to the groom. Jesus calls out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John says to the bride of Christ, Here is your groom who has come. And in Jesus' day and age, when the, when the best man would do this, he would get out of the way. You two have a good life together. And that's literally what John the Baptist has come to do. He comes to announce to the bride that the groom has come, and now he literally gets out of the way. Pastor, why can't he have a nice retirement? Why can't he live up in the hills as Jesus' cousin? Why can't he just relax because his job has been fulfilled of being the last prophet of the Old Testament? No. No. He has to die. He has to die for being faithful and as he is about ready to die, he goes to receive his great reward. But before John does this, he sends his own disciples to Jesus. And guess what? They have a question. Are you as the one to come or should we look for another? This was not just a question for John himself, but for them and for you today. Think about it for a moment. You believe that a man lived 2,000 years ago named Jesus Christ in the land of Israel who said that he was the son of God and true man and, and we saw and know from the scriptures that he died and he rose from the dead to be the savior of the entire world from the first person to the last person ever to live. You're telling me you've never questioned this? You've never looked at this and thought, are we so sure about this? I'm not trying to sow seeds of unbelief. I'm not sitting here asking you today to really question God whether or not this is all true. But have we not asked those questions, especially when life is down in the dumps? Hey, 
Are you looking out for me or not? Are you the one to come or shall we look for another? Are you the one who is to come? You and me are included in the we. Is Jesus the one? The one for you in the darkness and depression. The one for you in the sadness and mourning of those who have died. The one for you in the pain of sickness and disease. The one for you in your times of isolation and loneliness. The one for you under the burdens of life. The one for you locked in step with you in the struggles of worry and doubt. The one for you when life takes a turn you didn't expect. The one for you when your life comes crumbling down. Are you the one to come or shall we look for another? John the Baptist, the greatest of all in the world, asks a question of God. And Jesus doesn't look at him and say, what are you, crazy? You're my cousin, my own flesh and blood. You leapt in your mother's womb for joy when you came into my presence. How dare you ask any question of me? Questioning God is not also unbelief. Questioning God is like questioning your parents. Can I have a cookie? Can we go to the park? Why is the sky blue? At times, though, what do we say? Stop asking me questions. Go look it up on the encyclopedia. In my day, we had to look it up like this. Actually, in our house, it's just ask Alexa. But in many ways, God does not look at us annoyed, saying, why are you questioning? Why are you questioning me and what I've done for you? John asks so that the world may know. The one who came to prepare the way for the Messiah and point to him who is pointing to him still, even as he's rotting in prison, even still today in the 21st century from the grave. That we may know Jesus is the one coming, the promised one, the one who saves us from our sins, our sinful world, and our sin-caused death. So maybe the question that should be asked by you today is very simple. What are you looking for? Are you looking for immediate answers? Are you looking for immediate satisfaction? Can your longing be solved by a bill that passes in Congress or a magic pill or treatment developed by chemists and scientists? Remember what you worked about and worried about in 2012, 2003, 1978? Remember what you worried about in the last six months? Yet most of us aren't sitting here amongst ruins. Most of us like to talk about being post-pandemic. Everything is about context. We can bed, beg and plead for the good old days when everything seemed to be going fine, when shoes didn't drop, and all of a sudden we're seeing ourselves in a bind. So we go and worry about something else stressful. The things that we worry about and that we get so wound up, though, are idols. Idols are not little statues that you bow down to. It's not how much is in your wallet, the things that you worry about. 
And I'm not saying worrying about your kids being raised rightly or whatever else. I'm talking about the worldly things. Those things become idolatry. We heard today from Romans that on the last day, your idolatry will be exposed. Apart from Jesus, you have your answer. Go look for something else. Get out of here. Go try to find it on the Google. This Jesus wasn't going to cut it for them, though. <coughs> what kind of God dies? Only a God who can and will raise the dead. If you're sure today, you will be on the last day. See and hear what he has done and will do. So Jesus answers the question of John and John's disciples by pointing to the signs of all that he's done. He's fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah spoke, and that is important. Jesus is the subject and fulfillment of the Old Testament and the New Testament. The blind, the lame, the deaf, the lepers, the dead, all is cured, cleansed, and raised to life again. Signs of an even greater deliverance coming through Jesus' death and resurrection. Yet you don't seem to be blind or lame or having something else. You certainly are not sitting here today in a casket. But Jesus nonetheless includes you as well. The poor have good news preached to them. You may not be poor when you look at your retirement. You may not be poor in your worldly standards. But you and I were poor by the heavenly standards. And today you have the good news preached to you by a fellow sinner that this is not your inevitable destiny. This world is not your destiny, but there is more. There is hope. There is life for you. And not just an eternal life, but that new life starts now. That's the whole thing. It's not as if you were baptized and God simply says, yeah, you go have a nice life. You are baptized into the family of God. You are called brothers and sisters in Christ. And yes, you will struggle. If you're not sure about the struggle, go read Romans 7, something that we don't see in our Sunday school lessons. I don't do the thing that I know I'm supposed to do. I do the thing that I know I'm not supposed to do. What a great thing to teach our children and to remind ourselves about. You have the new life for you today, and it is as real as if you have been blind and could now see, if you've been deaf and you can now hear, if you've been lame and can now walk, if you've been a leper and are now cleansed, if you had been dead and now are alive. For all of that happens here. When you come to the coming one who comes to you in the waters of baptism, his word of the gospel, and here with his body and blood. How do we truly know this is what it is, pastor? You've thought that before, so have I. But Jesus promises what he says. He comes to you now to hear his word of peace. He comes to that you might be cleansed of all of your sins he comes that you will now be raised to a new life and live with him in everlasting innocence and blessedness. A new life that isn't even limited by all the garbage that goes on out there. 
new life that changes wor this world, surpasses anything that this world can throw at you, a new life that goes with you wherever and however you are, in all of this you have hope. That is the new hope that John the Baptist is pointing to and Jesus fulfills. New life through the word of God. So you and I may never be as great as John the Baptist, but God will use you to do great things. Things that are great in his sight, though maybe others would look at him and despise by the world. But no worries. The one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. And that is you. No matter where you are in life, no matter how far you have strayed, you are the great ones of the world. For in Christ, you are his body. You are his kingdom. The world strives in all of its questions for greatness by achievement or even by force and violence. Jesus says that force and violence must come upon him. Christ took that force and violence on the cross and he broke it. Meaning that you now are not broken by your sin or even death, but you are raised to life to make you great. So question things of God. John asked his question, and it's a good one for us to hear, especially now in these last days before Christmas and in these last days where he will come to judge the living and the dead. We rejoice in his first coming, his birth, rightly, and we look for his second coming in glory, rightly, and now that we know that, we also receive him rightly here today. For Jesus is the coming one. He is always coming to you, working for you, so that your joy may be complete. That's what the pink candle stands for, by the way. Joy. How can you not have joy with pink? Nonetheless, it is yours. He is the answer to all of our questions and on that last day, you will see him face to face with no questions. Everything will be revealed to you in its fullness. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.